like you to turn your Bibles to the book of Revelation. The book of the Revelation is one of the most controversial, misunderstood, misinterpreted, and neglected books in all of Scripture. The various viewpoints of different writers make this book admittedly one of the most difficult to interpret. Most seminaries avoid it, barely making mention of it at the end of a survey of the New Testament. Most preachers refuse to teach it, claiming it's too controversial. And most Christians stay away from it, finding it to be too complex. In fact, there are two pervading responses I'm likely to hear as we begin this study in the book of Revelation. Some will come to me and say, this is going to be confusing. This is really a waste of time because nobody can understand the book of Revelation. I read it shortly after I was first saved and, and it was so confusing, I never went back and read anymore again. And that's one response to the teaching on the book of Revelation. Others will say, all right, we're finally going to get some meat. We should be in Revelation and Daniel and prophecy all the time. And those are people I call prophecy freaks. Uh, you can tell them because they carry big black Bibles with maps and charts that all fold out. And they love to discuss the significance of the number four and how it relates to the fifth horn and the third toe and, and the tenth head and so forth. Um, well, let me suggest that neither of those responses is appropriate. In fact, there are two verses in the very last chapter of this book that tell me that those two responses are inappropriate. And just turn to me, with me to the last chapter, chapter 22. <clears throat> to the person who says, why bother? No one can understand this book. Look at chapter 22 and verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Now, if you keep your finger there and go back to Daniel chapter 12, the last chapter in Daniel, it's interesting to compare the two. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 9. Daniel is the revelation, if you like, of the Old Testament, talking about future things. And when Daniel had completed his book, Michael, the archangel, spoke to him and said in verse 9, Go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. So when Daniel wrote his book, he was told to seal it up. It wasn't an open book. But when John writes the Revelation, he is told 
not to seal up the book for the time is near. Now that tells me that this is intended to be an open book. Revelation is intended to be a book to be read. It's intended to be understood. So to the person who says, why bother, here's a verse at the end of the book that says, this is an open book. It's a book to be understood. And then to the person who's obsessed with prophecy, wishing only to satisfy his or her curiosity, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 7 is a verse for you. It says, And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Blessed is he who heeds, who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. This book is not intended to scratch your prophetic itch. It's a book intended to change your life. It's not a book merely to be debated. It's a book to be obeyed. So from the outset of our study in this book, I'd like us to realize two things. Number one, that God intends for us to understand this book. We can and number two, God intends for this book to transform our lives. And that's my prayer for you and for me. Now, I just want us to begin the book this morning by looking at the initial verses of the Revelation. And I just want us to sort of get our feet wet in the book. The first three verses of Revelation form an introduction the introduction in verses 1 to 3, and I'd like to read those with you. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now the introduction is going to help orient us to the rest of this book. And six things seem clear from these three verses. Six things stand out. Number one, we see the title of the book. Notice verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, my Bible has in bold letters across the top of this page, the revelation of John. Somebody didn't read the first verse. Because this is not the revelation of John, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the word revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis, from which we say apocalypse. And the word literally means appearing, manifestation, the coming, the unveiling. It has the idea of an unveiling. It's like when somebody uh, creates a masterpiece, a statue or something, they often have a sheet over it and they have a big audience there and they will unveil that masterpiece. That's the idea of this book. This is the book of the unveiling of Jesus Christ in all his glory. And this book presents him in more majestically than any other book in the Bible. 
It's a beautiful picture of the unveiling, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Gospels portray His first coming in humiliation. This book is going to portray His second coming in glory. In His first coming, He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. In His second coming, He will be adored and worshipped because He's going to come with power and great glory. Anyone who doesn't understand this book has only half the Christ of the New Testament. You've only seen Christ in His humiliation. This book unveils to us the Lord Jesus in all His glory. And that's the title. The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Then secondly, in this introduction we see the content. And that's also in verse 1. It says, The Revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his bondservants, notice, the things which must shortly take place. The content of this book is future things. He's talking about the things which must shortly take place. In fact, if you look down at verse 3, it says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy. This is prophecy. That means things that are foretold. And that word prophecy is used seven times in the book of Revelation. This is talking about future things. Now, some have chosen, chosen to erase this future element of the book by trying to trace all the events in the book of Revelation to history. And there are those who have taken that position. Some have uh, chosen to try to erase the future element of the book by spiritualizing the events to the present time. And you'll often hear the term talked about people who are amillennial. And that means they take all these events of Revelation, they spiritualize them to the present time. That there will not be a future reign of Christ, but He is reigning right now in our hearts, and it's all very spiritual, and that's a very popular view. In fact, it's, it's probably the most popular view held in the church today. To spiritualize away all these things. But we find at the very outset of this book that it is a book about future things. And when we get into this book, we're going to see when the, when the things are described in this book that these are not things that have already occurred. They are yet future. And that will be very clear to us. And so the content is future things. Our Bible opens with the book of Genesis showing us the beginnings. It closes with the book of Revelation describing to us the completion. In Genesis, we see heaven and earth created. In Revelation, we see heaven and earth destroyed. Genesis shows us the entrance of sin. Revelation shows us the end of sin. Genesis shows us the curse imposed. Revelation, the curse is removed. Genesis, the dawn of Satan. Revelation is the doom of Satan. Genesis, the tree of life is relinquished. In Revelation, the tree of life is regained. Genesis, paradise lost. Revelation is paradise found. Genesis is, shows us death entering. Revelation shows us death exiting. Genesis shows us how sorrow begins and Revelation describes how sorrow is banished. These are future things described 
I'd like you to notice something also in verse 1 about the contents of this book, and that is, he says, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his bondservants. This is a revelation, it's about future things, but it's something that God gave to Christ. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, it means that God gave Christ the message. Listen to this verse. This is John 12, 49. Jesus said, For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me commandment what to say and what to speak. And John is the one who described the Lord Jesus in John 1, 1 as the Word. He's the one who came and communicated to us about the Father. John 1.18, he is the one who explains to us the Father. He is the Word. And it's interesting here that we still find the Lord Jesus as the Word in the book of Revelation. In fact, in chapter 19 and verse 13, we're told that his name is called the Word of God. And so here we still see the Father speaking to the Son, and through the Son to us. He is the Word. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 tells us that God, after He spoke to the fathers through the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us, how? In His Son. And He is still communicating to us in His Son. And we find the completion, the last book of Scripture God is still speaking through the Lord Jesus Christ to us. He gave him the message. But you know, I think beyond that, he also gave the Lord Jesus the glory. And we find that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And it is as if the Father stands there and he's the one who pulls the sheet away and shows us the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus humbled himself in Philippians chapter 2 tells us that it is God who therefore has highly exalted him. And so here we have the Lord Jesus, or, or the Father, bestowing on the Lord Jesus the glory that he deserves. And so this, the content of this book is future things. It describes the ultimate return to the place of glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that is associated with that. Then thirdly, in this introduction, we see the time. And there are two time words used in these three verses. The first one is in verse 1. It's, it talks about the things which must shortly take place. These things will shortly take place. Now that's the Greek word intake, from which we get the word tachometer. And you fellows probably know what a tachometer is. I don't. Uh, it, it, what does it do? It measures revolutions per minute of uh, your engine or something. But, but the word means quickly. It has the idea of, of something that takes place very swiftly. And so he says these things are going to happen, and they're going to happen quickly. But there's a second time word, and that's down in verse 3, the end. He says, for the time is near. And the word time there is the word, Greek word chronos, from which we get chronology. He says the chronology, the, 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 the time of the, these events is very near. You say, well, John wrote this thing 1,900 years ago. 
How can he say that the time is near? You know, Peter helps us with that a little bit in 2 Peter chapter 3. Because he says there that with God, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. So if you want to put it in that perspective from God's viewpoint, it's only been a little less than two days. So the time is near. But the word chronos, chronology, when you think about it, you know what the very next event on the calendar of God is? The very next event on the calendar of God is the glory of Jesus Christ. And when that moment comes, it's going to happen swiftly. In fact, look at 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Here's the verse I alluded to. Peter says, don't let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise. As some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The Lord's not being slow, he's being patient, says Peter. But notice verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. There it is. You see, the next event on God's calendar is the glory of Jesus Christ. And he says, he's not being slow, he's being patient. The time is near, and when that time comes, it's going to come swiftly. It's going to happen quickly, like a thief in the night. And that's what we find here in the introduction to the book of Revelation. The time is near, and when it happens, it will happen swiftly. And that was true in John's day. And if that was true in John's day, then how much more urgent today when we can see the tribulation events already beginning to form around us. You know, there's only two things that have to happen before the coming of Christ. There are only two things that have to happen before the coming of Christ. The voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And that's it. Because the time is near. Then there's a fourth thing we see in these first three verses of the book of Revelation. And that is the writer. The end of verse 1 tells us the writer is John. His name is repeated in verse 4. It's also repeated again in verse 9. And it's also repeated in, in the last chapter in verse 8. John is the writer. He's the son of Zebedee, the brother of James. He was that former fisherman who heard John the Baptist preach and became a follower of the Lord Jesus. He was one of the three disciples whom Jesus took with him on special occasions. He was one of the two sent by Christ to prepare the last Passover meal. He's the one referred to as that disciple whom Jesus loved. He's the one who wrote the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He was the youngest disciple and lived longer than any other disciple. And we'll find out 
later in this chapter and in, in the weeks to come, the circumstances of his writing. But in this first verse, I just want you to notice the source of his information. Say, so, well, where did John get this information? Did he have some kind of a psychedelic trip? Or, you know, did he eat too much ice cream and pickles late at night? Or, you know, what happened to him to come up with all this information? Well, if you look in verse 1, you'll see that there's a channel of communication. Notice the channel. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place and is sent and communicated by his angel to his bondservant, John. There are five people involved in that chain. It's God giving it to Christ, Christ giving it to his angel, his angel giving it to John, and John giving it to his bondservants. Now, John may be getting this information third hand or fourth hand, whatever you call it here, but if you'll notice carefully, John is an eyewitness. And we see that in verse 2. It says, Who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. He was an eyewitness. He heard what God said, the word of God. He saw Christ in his glory, the testimony of Christ. And he saw other things because he recorded all that he saw. <clears throat> And so John is the writer, but what he wrote is the Word of God. And that explains why at the end of the book of Revelation, there are such stern consequences placed on those who would add to or take away from what's written in this book. This is the Word of God, and it's to be handled seriously. And so the writer is John. Fifthly, we see the style. And the style is indicated to us in one word in verse 1. And that's the word communicated, or your Bible may say signified. Probably signified is the better word because the Greek word is semano. It comes from the root word sema, which means sign. So signified is kind of a good word because it's signified. It means literally to communicate by sign or to show by symbols. That's what it means. It was shown by symbols. Interesting word. In fact, just to show you how this word is used, go back with me to, to the Gospel of John, because John, who wrote the book of Revelation, used this word three times in his Gospel. And I want to show you how he used it. John chapter 12 and verse 32. John 12, 32. Jesus says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Now what does that mean? If I be lifted up from the earth, what does that mean? We'll look at verse 33. But he was saying this to signify, there's our word, the kind of death by which he would die. Now he could have said, I'm going to be crucified, but he didn't say that. He said, I'm going to be lifted up because he was communicating in a symbol what kind of death he would die. That's our word. Now look over to chapter 18 of John. 
He uses the word again. Verse 31. Pilate therefore said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death, that the word of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. And there we have the word again used, speaking of the fact that Jesus had spoken about his death. He had spoken about it symbolically. I will be lifted up. He was referring to the kind of death which he would die. Then he used it one other time, and this is interesting. John chapter 21 and verse 18. And he uses it in reference to Peter. Verse 18, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now, what does that mean? Well, he tells us in verse 19. Now, this he said, signifying, there's our word, by what kind of death he would glorify God. You see, he used language that was symbolic anyway. He says, you're going to stretch out your hand. Somebody's going to take you where you don't want to go. And then he says, he did this communicating symbolically what kind of death he would die. Now that's the word we find in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. The same writer says that God communicated, God signified this. He spoke it by way of symbol. And that is the style used in the book of Revelation. And I think that's one of the reasons some people have problems with this book. Because it is a book communicated largely in symbol. And we need to understand that. And there are four types of symbols used in the book of Revelation. There are symbols in the book of Revelation that are explained in the book. But let me just illustrate these to you. There are symbols in the book of Revelation that are explained in the book. Look at chapter 1 and verse 20. He says, as for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. He's explaining. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So he uses some symbols, and then he turns around later in the chapter and he explains those symbols. And so there are symbols used in the, in the book of Revelation, and there are the kind that are explained in the book. Look at chapter 17 and verse 9 give you another illustration of it. 17.9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Verse 10. And they are seven kings. Verse 12. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings. He's explaining the symbols. Look at verse 15. And he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Verse 18, and the woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So this is a symbolic book. Some of the symbols are explained by the book. But there's a second kind of symbol that he uses in the book of Revelation. Those are symbols that are explained in the Old Testament. 
In fact, in the book of Revelation, 348 quotes and allusions come from the Old Testament scriptures. And so there are many symbols which are explained in the Old Testament. For example, chapter 2 and verse 7 talks about the tree of life. How do we know about the tree of life? Well, it comes from the Old Testament scriptures. Chapter 2 and verse 17 talks about the hidden manna. Well, where do we learn about manna? We learn from the Old Testament scriptures. And so there are oftentimes symbols used in the book of Revelation that are explained to us in the Old Testament scriptures. Then there's a third kind, and that is those that are, that are explained in the life and culture of the New Testament. For example, chapter 2 and verse 17 talks about a white stone. What's a white stone? Well, we have to go back to the culture and time and life of the New Testament to find out what that white stone is, and we'll see when we get there. Chapter 5 and verse 1 talks about seals. What are seals? We'll find out from the culture of that day. So there are symbols explained in the book. There are symbols explained in the Old Testament. There are symbols which are explained by the culture of that day. And fourthly, there are symbols that are explained by the context that they're used in this book. For example, look at chapter 8 and verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were smitten so that a third of them might be darkened, and the day might not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. Now, he talks about a third of the stars being smitten so that they go out. Now, I take that literally. A third of the stars are out, so you've only got uh, uh, a third of, of, the, of the light of the day, he says. Now, come down to chapter 9 and verse 1. He's used stars. He just used stars literally. Now, chapter 9 and verse 1, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth. Now, you say, that must be literal too. We'll go on in the verse. He says, And the key of the bottomless pit was given to him, and he opened the bottomless pit. Now, who's this star? Well, this star I can't take literally. He's obviously using this star in a different way. He's talking here about an angel, an angelic being who comes down. He is a person. And he's given the key to the bottomless pit. So the context tells me that that has to be an individual separate. So they use star in a different way, just like we do. We talk about the literal stars, and then we talk about people being stars. Well, the book of Revelation uses it in that way, too. And we have to sometimes understand by the context what symbols, what these symbols mean. So the style of Revelation is, to a large extent, symbolic. And we need to be careful that we properly understand the symbols in this book. And then a sixth thing we see in the introduction, and that is the recipient. Who's this revelation for? Look at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants. This is a message from Christ to his bondservants. And a bondservant in keeping with Exodus chapter 21 is the, is the slave who could have gone free, but instead he goes and allows his master to punch the awl through his ear, making himself a willing, loving, lifelong, committed servant to his master. The bondservant is the one whose primary concern is to please Jesus Christ. And you know, when I see that this book is written to Christ's bondservants, I have to think to myself that maybe the reason so many people have so much trouble understanding this book is because it's meant for bondservants. 
And maybe we have to ask ourselves the question, am I a bondservant of Jesus Christ? Because that's who it's written to. And over and over again, in fact, eight times in this book, the, the phrase is given, let him who has an ear hear. And not everybody has an ear for the things of God. This is a message written to Christ's bondservants. And then, not only is it written to bondservants, but there's a blessing attached, and that's in verse 3. It says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. There's a blessing. And the blessing is for the one who reads. Now, in that situation, they all didn't have Bibles, so this letter would arrive and someone would stand up and read that letter to the congregation. So he says, blessed is the one who reads and those who sit and hear, but that's not where the real blessing comes. The real blessing, he says, is for those who heed. We're not to read it so we can speculate wildly about all kinds of future things. And we're not to read this book so that it'll satisfy our curiosity. And we're not to read this book to be entertained. We're to read it as Christ's bondservants so that we might heed it, that we might obey it, that we might keep it. You say, well, how do you keep future things? How do you obey future things? Well, look again with me at 2 Peter or make it 1 Peter, chapter 1. And let me just show you from Peter's writings. 1 Peter, chapter 1. And verse 13. He says, Therefore, gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Notice, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How do you heed the revelation of Jesus Christ? You find out about it and you fix your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus returns. You make that the focus of your life. That's how you heed the book. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter talks here in 2 Peter chapter 3 about the end of the world and how it will be burned up with fire and so forth. In fact, in verse 10 that we read, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. There's something in the future and notice what Peter says, verse 11, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? When you know that that's going to happen in the future, what kind of people ought you to be today in holiness? And if you look down at verse 13, he says, But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Revelation is a blessed book. In fact, that word blessed means happy. It's a happy book, but it's only a happy book for those who read and hear and heed the prophecy of it. You know, I was up in Chicago this week, 
and I was up at international teams and they had a library there and so I went into their library and I was looking around at their books they had a whole bunch of books on Revelation some real old books and I was thumbing through these books and I thumbed through one in particular I don't even remember what it was but I I returned to the to the front of the book and the and whoever had owned the book previously had written on the first page of the book and he wrote this he said uh, this is not a very valuable commentary because the writer spiritualizes too much of his interpretation and then under that he wrote this interesting he said the real difficulty with the book of Revelation is not in understanding it but in believing it I thought that was a great statement better than the book probably the real difficulty is not understanding what it says it's, it seems very clear to me the difficulty is in believing it and that's where the blessing comes to the one who reads and hears and heeds the words of this book so the introduction helps orient us to the book in it we discover the title it's the revelation of Jesus Christ the content it's prophecy the things which must shortly take place the time is near and when it comes it will come swiftly the writer is John writing the Word of God the style is signified communicated by symbols and the recipient is the bondservant of God the one who reads and hears and heeds let's close in prayer father we thank you for your word this morning and we thank you for this great book that reveals unveils the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and his future reign and Lord we pray that as we go through it that you might help us to accurately understand your word and your truth and as we understand it that we might truly be those who react as your bondservants and keep your word we pray it in Jesus name Amen.